Welcome to the FinTV podcast series, where we tap into the collective expertise of the world's leading supply chain, manufacturing, and digital innovators. My name is Maria Villablanca, the co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, and I'll be your host. Join us every week to hear the opinions, lessons, and general guidelines from the industry's leading minds. FinTV, insights for today's digital leaders. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of FinTV. Today, I'm joined by a really exciting guest, Pat McClagan, who is a change management agent, author, and thought leader. I'm very excited about Pat being on this, uh, on this episode. Pat, thanks so much for doing the show. I appreciate you coming on. It's totally my pleasure. I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks, Maria. Great. Well, you know what, Pat? Well, I usually like to start this by asking people, why don't they tell us a little bit about themselves? Uh, okay. Um, I consider myself a person who works on the cusp of change. I, for some reason, back when I was a child, I got very interested in how people learn and how people accelerate their own development process, And literally when I was in high school and college. And then I ended up through a, a whole long set of steps that I won't tell you about, uh, working in organizations. And I ended up then uh, focusing on big changes that were happening. Like I worked with 3M and a lot of manufacturing companies back when robotics first came in. And that change absolutely turned everything upside down within the manufacturing companies. I worked with NASA when they moved from the uh, moonshots to the shuttle. And that actually forced them into now having to manage the business because they didn't have unlimited funds from Congress. So they had to really face into a different way of operating in the United States. Uh, I worked with consumer products organizations as they faced into a, a period where there was quite a lot of merger and acquisition. I worked with banking when the ATMs came in and the ATMs actually revolutionized banking in ways they never expected. It, it turned banking into a consumer self-driven uh, process. I worked with the intelligence agencies after the after 911 where they had to boot up into a whole new way of operating and I worked with cybersecurity more recently and you know how important cybersecurity is um, throughout the last number of years though I've also been working with supply chain and supply chain has excited me because I believe that it is driving the most massive transformation in thinking about enterprise and economics that has ever happened. And so I will you know, happily get into that. Um, in the meantime, I've been trying to be a bridge between research and practice. I've spent a lot of my time working inside organizations. I've worked hand in glove with executives. I've worked with unions. I've worked with people on the front lines implementing change. I've trained change leaders to help them be able to move the change through their system because I believe consultants should not be leading a change process. I believe it's, it should be led from within. Um, and I lived in South Africa during the time of its major so social and business changes. I started working in there in the early 80s. I lived there throughout the 90s. I worked with South African businesses to help them get ready for the massive changes that they were facing both in the country with the end of apartheid and also as they tried to become global. Uh, one of my clients was South African breweries, which at the time was a local, just really a local and, and African, sub-Saharan African business. But we did a strategy that 
launch them into a global expansion. And we all know the rest of the story. They became, I think, the second and third largest beer company in the world. They've been uh, acquired by InBev. But, you know, it, it was a really a privilege working with them, with the CEO, with the unions, with all of those people on how do we prepare this business to live in an entirely different world than it's, uh, than it's been living in up to now. I also ran my own company for about 25 years, so uh, my employees had to live with all the change ideas that we were implementing elsewhere. So I have to say that a lot of ideas that we had didn't go anywhere just because of our own personal experience. Uh, so I, mean, I love it. I was just going to say, it sounds like you've, you know, you've seen things from so many different perspectives, you know, uh, so many different perspectives. The big word that keeps coming out here, and we, when I introduced you, I talked about you as a change agent. Um, you know, we are undergoing something right now that probably not many people could have predicted. So clearly there's the change of digital transformation happening, change in the economy, change in geopolitics, then add to that a pandemic. What do you think is the biggest challenge with regards to change or implementing change? Well, you know, it's a, it's, it's a challenge and it's an, a real opportunity. Change is not a unique thing. We've managed it as though it's something to manage. Quite frankly, we cannot manage change. We can unleash change. We can guide change. But think about it this way. Since the 1700s, we've looked at human systems as though they're objects. And we've tried to act on them as though they're objects. And thus came, you know, the assembly line and the uh, organization chart that tried to put people into boxes so we could manage them. And all the emphasis on rewards and punishments and how we can keep the variability of people from interfering with the smooth running of the organization. But the reality is that organizations are not machines and people are not machines. People are living, breathing, entities <clears throat> and they the rules of how we operate as living breathing entities are quite different from the engineering models you know just to give you an example when when we when an organization wants to implement a change and they put out the word you know we want you to do x y and z joe out there or mary out there is listening to this and hears what's being said, and then it goes into their brain and the brain filters it in whatever way it filters it. So each individual probably hears it in a different way. And then it gets mixed up in their own biases and fears. And so then it, it, it either gets chucked out because it's not something I really care about, or it gets kind of parked in the short-term memory for as long as maybe I need it, and then you know I, I move it away. So, and then it has to end up in my, in my, inside of me as a, something that's driving my behavior. So that when I'm out there and I'm talking about the littlest, you know, most, the smallest jobs, and I learned this working in South Africa with illiterate and semi-literate people, that they are the ones that are making the strategies happen. And that will be true no matter how wonderful technology gets, no matter how intelligent artificial intelligence is. At the end of the day, it's individual people and how they filter what is happening into their behavior. So let's take Joe, for example. Joe is sitting there, is working on the line someplace um, with new technology or whatever. 
if, uh, as one of my partners said, he is a, he's typical, he's not using all the capability of the technology. My partner said, you know, if everybody used all the capability of Word, it would crash the system. So, you know, I mean, and that's true of pretty much any technology, most of it's over-engineered, but not necessarily badly, because if we could just help people catch up with the engineering in the system, then we'd have the best of all worlds. You know, I listened to how Lee talk about that, that we have to move both the human system and the technical system together. It can't be an add-on, which it's been, and which it is because we think of organizations as objects. Okay, we'll do the planning, then we'll get people to follow it. We'll manage that resistance, we'll control it, we'll, you know, we'll put out rewards and, and all of that. And instead of seeing that the living part of the system is, is as capacity potentialed as the technology. Um, I think I've kind of gone on a long, windy road. No, here. But, but, but you're, you're absolutely right. I think when I think to, to organizations, they tend to put together the plans first, uh, the processes, the technology, and it's almost as though people are this sort of an afterthought, aren't they? Right. That's right. And I think that, you know, you have to get more sophisticated in our thinking about change. There isn't change equals change. There are several types of change mm -hmm. and we can't manage one type three with type one methodologies. So think about, in fact, I used to be, I used to talk about three types of change. I'm now talking about four. And the first one is transactional change. It's when you're learning to, when the change doesn't really disrupt relationships, my view of myself, maybe you're bringing in a new piece of equipment that helps me do things faster, better, cheaper, whatever. You know, I'm, you know, eventually, many years ago, I replaced my typewriter with a computer. Okay, that, that's a transactional change. Um, then, and there are lots of those, and you can train those, and you can tell people we're going to make the change, and then you can deal with the resistance and all, all of that. But if you made the decision, that's okay. Um, so you don't, it's really, it's not a complex change management problem, but you can make it more efficient and more effective. Then the second one is what I'd call transform, or, or transitional change. And that would be something like much more, and the, the distance between these changes, quite frankly, is almost exponential. So T2 with transitional change, it would be something like putting in a total quality system or ERP or a really good SOP or a, a control tower or something like, you know, a lot of the stuff that people in supply chain do where the, 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 key thing about a transitional change, it's very, very complicated. It has a lot of moving parts. It will take a lot of energy at a lot of levels, but somebody else has done it, at least at some level. And there are people who have expertise who can help you through it. So it's not 100% uncertain. That's what mm -hmm. I'm saying. And always change management, the amount of energy you have to put into it is directly related to the amount of uncertainty in the change, okay? Mm -hmm. So now you have um, transitional, transitional change, but that's a big thing because it has disruption of people, the whole living ecology that is the organization. And I, I've been talking about organizations as ecologies. People are starting to talk about it that way. You have to remember, I lived in South Africa. I spent a lot of time in the African bush. I really saw a lot of how ecologies work. And it's mm -hmm. not like the organization chart, mm -hmm. okay? So it's not, a stat, uh, it's not a static at, at, no, as an organizational you know chart, it's, isn't it's alive. Everybody depends, every, every entity in the bush depends in some way on others in the bush on the behavior and, and health of others in the bush. And they play their own roles. 
And if they get out of their role, or if they, if they go too far out of their role, they cause disruption. And they all together face outside disruption, their own mm -hmm. form of black swans mm -hmm. or whatever. So, and they're all living entities too. So in an organization, the organization is a living, so it's a community. Yeah. And we can't manage it as though it's a machine. And I want to come back to that and talk about what that means for leadership, what that means for workers, what that means for how we think about things, what that means for, you know, our, our, our mental models of the entity and organization, because we cannot continue to treat an organization as though it's a machine. It, because, you know, if only because agility, customer focus, innovation are not the things that can be programmed through object-oriented man management. So anyway, I was talking about the three T's. Mm -hmm. So second one is uh, transitional change. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, you know, all very complex. And you have to put a lot of energy into those changes. I mean, plenty, plenty of energy. But, but the key here, as you say, is the fact that someone else has done it. You know, you someone can get assistance. Or if, yeah. Yes, or it's farther ahead of you on the curve and it seems to be mm -hmm. working and all of that. Yeah. Um, and then the third type of change is transformational. Yeah. And that I think, you know, and we use that word transformation far too easily yeah. because transformation is something that causes you to jump to a whole new way of thinking. It's almost like a new paradigm, you know, completely a shifting paradigm. a paradigm. Yeah. And I think we're treating digitization and mm -hmm. supply chains as though they are transactional. Most of the time I see transactional change. And I've heard some of your other interviews mm -hmm. where people are talking about, you know, they pick this thing and they pick that thing and this fat and that fat. And, you know, it's not going to work. I mean, for a while people will, will take it in and you'll feel like you're making progress. But with a transformational change, it upends all the rules. And digitization and supply chain are changing so many things, everything, you know, I, I want to go back to when I started working in change and it, it has dawned on me over the decades that there is something profound trying to happen in businesses. And I've been talking about it for four or five decades. And that is this shift from the business as a mechanical system to business as an ecosystem as a living mm -hmm. system. And that sounds, oh, that's all this jargon and all of that. But, you know, even the physicists have discovered that there is no certainty in physics. You know, the, yeah. it, it's, you know it, it, even the hard scientists aren't that hard in their science. Even the cosmologists, when they look out into the cosmos, they focused all this time on what you can see. And now they discover that 95 or 96% is what you can't see, what we don't even know about. I equate that with the conscious, with the living systems capability. We yeah. have a lot of that equivalent of dark matter capability in our enterprises, but because we've tried to, to you know, put it in boxes, we haven't optimized it. So transformational change is a change in the whole paradigm. And this is why I am so excited about supply chain, because I've been talking and working with organizations for years and seeing that you have to break down. Everybody says break down the silos and all of that. It's just been so much talk. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I've, I've done, uh, and supply chain, before I get into some of the other things about it, supply chain is actually pushing us to think yeah. integratedly. 
not only within our own business, but through the whole, uh, in fact, I think supply chain does a disservice to what it really is. It's really the fundamental business model of the organization. And, you know, if you look at it, it starts, even SNOP or a customers, the customers start it with their needs and the customers end it with their use of our products and services. So, you know, that is the business. And if we don't see that as the business, then, uh, then the silos take over. The silos are in service to that business. And, you know, I, I've worked with a number of supply chain organizations and you can see that one of their unstated challenges is to be an equal in the C-suite. Well, yep. to me, it's obvious. This is your business. You know, I mean, you supply chain, it's not, you shouldn't go hand in hand into the C-suite. This is your business and everything else is in service to it. You know, that's funny that you say that we've, you know, I've been in supply chain a long time and the, uh, you, you know, you go to, you can't help but see at almost every conference uh, how to go from uh, supply chain to this to the boardroom. You know, uh, working with the boardroom. I've even had here in my podcast talked about some of the opportunities that have come out of this crisis, out of this pandemic. The fact that the spotlight is on the supply chain professional, the supply chain professional that has the opportunity. Uh, to demonstrate his or her worth right now, especially as insofar as uh, remaining a, a competitive within this marketplace. But what you're saying is absolutely true. Right now, it this is the business. Supply chain is the business. Without a functioning supply chain, there is no business. It's just plain and simple, isn't it? Yes. It's getting close to being an ecology. And we're starting mm -hmm. to see people talk about ecology. And I think that's way at the end of, you know, when I think of maturity model, I think running your business as an ecology is a, is a level six of maturity. Roddy Martin and I talk about maturity models all the time and I add the level six because yeah. I think that, you know, that's where we have to head because that's, and it's a functional goal-directed ecology. So, which I think all ecologies are uh, in any event. So with transformation, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to I was just going to pull back for a second and say cuz you talked about, you know, the three, so transactional, uh, transitional, transformational, but then you also did allude to a fourth that you're now talking about a fourth. Right. If transformational uh, challenges all of the assumptions that we make, like we say we want more agility. That's a transformational yeah. goal. We want yeah. more um, innovation, transformational goal, customer focus. Oh, they've been saying that ever since I started consulting transformational goal because the customer is out there and we treat the boss as the customer. As long as we treat mm -hmm. the boss as the customer, there's no chance for the customer to be out there. Mm -hmm. um, so the fourth is transformational capability inbuilt. So we don't talk about changes episodically. We mm -hmm. actually build the capability so that you are in, in the HR field, it's called a learning organization. It's, it's an organization where you every, it, it, I don't know if, if anyone has talked about fractals, but a, a fractal mm -hmm. is a, is a, is a, um, is a visual of a complex system. And right. the closer you look and it's, it's like computer generated, but when you look at it at every 
piece, you can go microscopically down to the lo lower and lower levels of detail. You always find the same patterns. Right. So it's it's very exciting thing. Now, the patterns that we need to see are, you know, being able that every unit, every living being in that system is agile, is customer focused, is a part of a larger context. You know, it gets back to this Joe. So here's Joe out on the line. And he's now, he understands somewhat the strategy of the business. Although I have to say, most people don't know what the strategies are. They couldn't say what they are. It's been a big issue for a long time. Um, but he, he's trying to do the right thing. He's got new equipment that he's trying to use. He's got his own job that he has to do. Maybe he has some development things he's trying to do. Maybe he's even coaching somebody. So he's here in this moment trying to do his job. And all of these things are competing for his time. And then all of a sudden there's a crisis. So he has to drop, does he drop everything? Maybe not, maybe he shouldn't. Maybe he should. Or the boss comes in and says, hey, Joe, I've got something I want you to do. And then Joe, of course, drops everything because the mindset is still hierarchical. And the reality is that the, the performance of the business is comprised of every one of those little moments of truth, if we want to call it that, for every individual. Now, what does Joe need to be able to function? Maybe it's Joe at a lower level. Maybe it's Joe at a, at a managerial level. He or she needs to know, have a big picture vision of the business. And the big picture vision is not the organization chart and where I am. If you think about it, organization charts don't even have the customer on it. So, I mean, are they a really good sort of picture of, of, what, you're, of what we're trying to do as, as business? We have to, you know, if, if one thing that we could do, one thing, Develop a visual of your business that's really exciting and that shows the end-to-end -end part, that shows it end-to-end, -end, and that becomes a conversation point for each person, everybody, from whatever job. Where are you in here? How do you fit in our visions? How do you fit? You know, and because people do the best they can. You know, I did a project for, for a very large airline many years ago. And they said, you know, our people, they're just not, they're not getting involved. We need our people to get involved. And when we ask them to, to put suggestions in the suggestion box, which was their way of getting them involved, what stupid ideas. I mean, they're just stupid ideas. And, you know, the, the problem was that the people didn't understand the big picture. They didn't know, you know, they were putting an idea and maybe some of them were not so stupid, really. Mm -hmm. They probably, if, if somebody really pursued them, but they were, they didn't know how they fit. And you know, once you know how you, somewhat how you fit and you're kind of brought in as a partner in the business, you, and you're told you're a CEO of your own job. You know, I, I did a, a program once for the South African Bureau of Standards and I had all the leaders in there and all, of the, all the workers from all over the headquarters. And one of the people was a gardener and this gardener um, was there and I mixed them all up and the whole purpose was to see how you contribute to the big picture. And it was a two-day workshop. This guy left and came back really early the next day. And he said, I'm so excited. He said, I told my wife last night that I have customers. Because that was one of the things that we were looking at. You know, everybody has customers in the chain and, you know, and that was a real revelation and it made him think about his job totally differently.
he wasn't just, you know, messing around in the garden. He was creating a beautiful environment that made the place appealing. As part of a big, as part of a bigger picture. Yeah. So I want to make a side point in case I forget it here. And that is that not only are we at a turning point in how organizations need to think about themselves, but we are at a turning point in, and don't think me corny on this, of civilization. Mm -hmm. And organizations have a responsibility to help build the citizens of tomorrow. And the citizens of tomorrow are not cogs and wheels. They have got to be able to think conceptually. They've got to be able to take charge of their lives. They have to be able to speak truth to power. They have to be able to um, transform themselves under fast-changing circumstances. I was just going to say, they've got to be agile because, you know, we have events like the one we have right now. So you talk about this type of business that is, uh, has got transformational capability inbuilt. Uh, You know, that means that we all as employees, as uh, people within this ecosystem have got to be able to deal with that. So can I talk to you about leadership for a second? Because, you know, it seems to me the big issue here with, and I, and I throw this stat almost at every podcast I do, because we've been talking about digital transformation since before this coronavirus hit, and so many failures, so much failure in general, projects that are failing, digital transformation not living up to the expectations that people have. Um, and is it the tech that failed? Is it the techno- you know, is it the process that failed? Is it the people? Is it the secure? Who knows? But people really are always at the, uh, the, really in almost every equation here as to why things are succeeding or failing. So let's talk about leadership qualities and how does a leader today in today's supply chain dealing with massive black swan events, dealing with massive geopolitical changes, um, dealing with changes in their own life as well, how do they handle and navigate this kind of transformation? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a big question, but I think the number one thing is they have to step back and I mean, do a really deep introspection about how they see the enterprise. Because if they, they see the enterprise as the organization chart, and if they see their use of power as though they're running a machine, it is not going to work there. And once you get into that mindset of how do I influence an ecology? How do I influence a living system? You know, the old way is to, well, first of all, I don't think many leaders are conscious of their use of power. You have to first be Mm -hmm. conscious when you move into a leadership role. And I, just to give you an example, I was working with a telecom and we were doing a, sort of how do we prepare people to get into executive roles and I was interviewing one guy at the top and he not way at the top but second to the top and I said tell me about your when you got into this job and what did it take and he said well I came in and my staff came in and we were talking on a Friday and I said you know this office is a little bit dark he said when I came back to work on Monday there was new lighting lighter paint on the walls and so on And he said, I was flummoxed. But what he learned is that he, his role has a lot of power. And so when you move into a role, you must be conscious 
of the power that you have and use it very consciously. Because when you move into it, and especially since most people, not just leaders, but most people have that hierarchy in mind and they wanna move up that hierarchy. And, um, and that will be true even of these young people coming in, they're gonna come into that organization and pretty soon they're gonna be co-opted into that thinking if we don't nip it in the bud. Mm-hmm. That, you know, your goal isn't to move up in the hierarchy, your goal is to continually add more value. And there are lots of ways to do that. And, and, and not only add more value, but as you fulfill yourself in, in life and work. So, so you have to, when you, move into a position of power, you are two people. You are yourself and all that you bring, and you are your role. And I have to say that some of the nation's leaders don't, in this country, don't seem to realize that because when you speak, you roar. When you walk down this hall, you shake the earth. When you look at something, it's like laser beams are looking at it, and people mm-hmm. will jump into your service. It's, it's crazy because people have that mindset of dependency and they're kind of stuck there because we've set up institutions that have actually thrived on a mindset of dependency. So this is why- And you know what happens there? People are afraid to fail, Uh, right? People are then afraid to fail and failure has got to be part of, to some degree, the growth experiment, right? right? And this is part of the transformational thinking, and that's thinking about failure. You know, in most of my consulting life, I've seen, you know, the evolution of, you know, all the different fads. And and one is, you know, um, do it right the first time and and all of that. Shrink, no slack. You know, we want to have just in time and all of that. And yes, you know, this is not dissing any of that because there's certain truth in a lot of that. But the, um, I think I got myself off track now. my mind goes in a million directions, as you can see. I have so but we're talking about failure. Yeah, well, we're talking about failure. failure. Yeah, that's right. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, so the view of failure is that it's something to mitigate and to minimize and, in fact, to get rid of. And in transformational change, failure plays a really, really, really important role. And it's to the point where I'll tell you, in my consulting at a certain point, I said, you know, I would rather work with a company who's failed a few times than one who's just starting on the journey. Because we, we need to reframe failure. You know, I think if you know the life cycle curves that go like that uh, for organizations. So mm-hmm. when you're in a transformational change, you're, you're starting to get onto the next curve. But that curve, that next curve starts at the apogee of the old curve. So it's like that. Yeah. Yeah. And usually what's happening inside there, the new thing is trying to happen. And it's, it's, it's kind of building its chops. It's failing and then it's being put down by the system. Then it fails again and it's put down. But I saw this with the quality movement, quality circles, then another more systemic type of quality. And then you get here and total quality comes in and they say, we've been there. We've done that. It hasn't, you know, we didn't, it didn't work. And I say, great. You know, what kind of experience did you build? What did you learn? What capabilities are there since, because you tried that? And let's build on that. So failure is a really important part of transformation. And we need, to, we need to unleash people to be able to quickly recognize it, hopefully anticipate it, and then raise it if, and deal with it. And if they can't deal with it, then raise it to whoever can help deal with it. But there's so much lost because people are not willing to 
admit failure until it becomes a crisis. And then, of course, that that plays right into how into human nature. We love solving crises. Mm hmm. So, well, know, I was going to say it's. I was going to say it's not just that they fa fail to admit their own failure. They might even. We were talking about the hierarchical model. They may even fail to to mention it when they can blatantly see someone above them failing, uh, and that that creates a scenario right. as well. That I mean, you know, there's a number of different examples here. Uh, sure. I, I want to pull back and talk about examples. Talk about more practicality because what you're talking about makes absolute sense. If you, if you think about the evolution of the business or the corporation in our lives since a hundred years ago, you know, the, the role that corporations play in our lives has changed and evolved over time. So there's not a big, bold leap to go from this, this business as a mechanical entity to more of an ecosystem. You know, I, I can see, I can see that who's doing it well now. Is there anyone that's doing it well, that's on the way to doing it well? Well, you know, that's a transitional question, isn't it? Because we look for people who've done it. I think, you know, I can say who I think is really on the path, but, um, and I will, but the, um, but we all, that is a way, that is, a, I mean, I'm not saying that that's a bad, I think it's a good question, but it's a question many people ask that stops them from getting out on the edge and pushing it. Because right now we are creating the future. We are creating the future. And so we need to, yes, look at, you know, and it's been building because some companies, I, I would say Schneider Electric is a really good example and what Annette Clayton does over in supply chain. She's always paying attention to the, the living system side and the technology side. It just goes like this. They're just, they're one. You know, and I, she's, you know, one of those transformational leaders. Um, I also had a chance to uh, give some talks at Hire in China. Um, and, you know, China has its own way of doing things for sure. But I was totally gobsmacked at what that company is doing. And with, when you look underneath it, you know, Shang Jimin, Shang Remin, um, the head of it is all about the system and the living system and the values and the unleashing people. And, you know, I mean, it's, and, and, and how you, and, I, and his experiment is very different. I know, I think how Lee talked about on your interview, the, um, the higher system. And it really is fascinating because it's set up really to unleash creativity, but still to, to harness lessons learned and to put into routine and put into service to the whole organization things that we know are best practices, but at the same time unleash the energy of the people to to be agile, to be customer focused in their own little bit. He's he's doing it with little businesses that are pods all over the place, mm -hmm. and um, so you know. But I don't think that's the only way that I think we're going to discover a lot of different ways of organizing. But the goal needs to not only be to put in new technologies and to optimize our performance, but it also needs to be to unleash people. And that's where I have one point that I really wanna make. And that is that, and I hear, I have not heard a single person really talk about this. We're talking about tech, putting in technologies and then we're saying, oh, but the human side isn't supporting the technology. So we really need to help the human side use the technology. Yes, we do need to do that. And we need to start as soon as we're thinking about putting in some new technology, 
whether it's end-to-end -end or any, anything smart, we need to ask ourselves, what does this mean for the workforce? Who is the person who is going to be interacting and interfacing with the machine? It might be, I think one of the people you interviewed was talking about Hue Machine or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but I'd like to take it one step further and say, all right, what if we, we have an incredible asset in people. People are sub-optimized. We've been sub-optimizing people for years, for decades. We have imaginations that have not even begun to be unleashed. We have capability, as we know from brain science, which is something that I study assiduously, we know from brain and body science that there is intelligence in the body that pre-alerts you to things that are happening that you, and before the cognitive mm -hmm. part comes in. Those are all things that we can now begin to help develop in people. And that will help them in, in our lives. It will help them in their families. It's like that gardener. I went home and told my wife that I have customers. So, you know, it's, um, we need to help people co-evolve with technology. And if we do not do that, then the dystopian views of technology will become a reality and we will have a very hard time changing it. We have people who are running supply chain right now have control of the most important technologies in business. Are they going to use it to turn, make people dumber or are they going to use it to make people smarter? And I think the companies that discover how to make people smarter, that is how to unleash imagination, how to unleash change agency, how to help people use this incredible brain, which every, anybody who's doing AI knows is more powerful in many more ways than technology is and will remain that way for a long time. We're not even talking about optimizing that or developing that or evolving that. Human beings are evolving like crazy or have the capacity I think the company that learns how to create, help people create in themselves the capacity to manage themselves and transform themselves is going to be the winner. And right now, psychologists who research this tell us that most people are stuck in a developmental stage that is dependent. So, so, so Pat, you know, I, 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 comp I completely see that. And you know, I'm, I'm here, you give, you gave some really good examples of some companies that you've worked with, um, you know, that are large scale institutions, governments, you know, talk about trying to get them to change, you know, is, is quite hard. So, so let's get some practical advice, practical steps. Cause I hear you talk about Joe. Well, I'm going to talk about Jane. She's running her supply chain. She's got a million things going on. Lots of change happening. It's a lot of change in posed on her, lots of change happening all over the place. What kind of practical steps can she take, can our supply chain director take to start to veer the business, their role, their employees, their board, people above them into this direction? Because sure. they're, they're all looking for the competitive advantage. So how, what are the practical steps that one can take? Well, I think they need to look, first of all, at how they communicate. You know, the old way of communicating is I tell people a lot. Maybe I do a real fancy town hall. I send out a memo. I um, run a meeting where I tell them what to do. That's like, you know, the tell goes right here into the head and bounces right off. It's yeah. got to be, you have to always add. And, and it's not even adding. It's, your communication has to be two-way. And it's like there's no such thing as a strategy unless 
it's in, lives inside people. So mm -hmm. you just say to yourself, do you go out and you ask people, what are we trying to do? What's our strategy? You know, um, how does your job fit? I worked with some leaders in of the electrical utility in South Africa, the top two people, we had three strategies and they used to go out into the, into the power stations. And we went out to the power stations and they would ask everybody, how does your job, we have three strategies, electricity for all, to be a top utility in the world and to be the Southern Africa electrical grid. How does your job fit into that? And the chief executive had conversations with people about that. Um, so I think that's one thing. Secondly is to, when people come to, I'm talking about the looking down into the, into the people you're leading. When people come to you with a problem, watch how you react so that you're not either punishing or taking on the problem. So, you know, the, I mean, there's, these are simple things. You know, if somebody comes with a problem, you say, okay, you know, what do you think we should do? What do you think is the source of the problem? Who else do you think should be involved? You know, it's not, well, okay, you know, here's what you need to do about it. So that's the dependency way. You shift all of your interactions with people to interdependent communication, interdependent communication. Um, another thing, you have a lot of HR systems, you know, you've got performance goals and things like that. Companies typically have treated those as human resource things. And so they delegate that to HR. That's not an H goal setting is not an HR process. It's a business process. I mean, how can you have a strategy without execution? So it, the ownership of those business processes is management. So when those HR processes come in, take them very seriously as management tools for communication, for alignment, and for creating a culture of interdependence. So, you know, that's, that's, I think you've got a lot of tools, start using them in an interdependent way instead of in a top-down way, or a, I have to do this, it's bureaucracy here, we just have to do that. So I think that's critical. And another thing is to, um, I think for supply chain people, it's for, I went through this with, uh, with human resources and, and other functions too, that were trying to make themselves more powerful in the business. Um, you have to build trust and build trust in your ideas. So you can't just sit back and complain that leadership, top management isn't paying attention to you. Seize the day, notice the problems and go in with, with ideas and solutions, but also with new framings of problems. If you see something, don't be afraid to raise the, raise the failure. You know, it's, um, it's, uh, and say, here's what we're doing about it. We've done this and we've done that, but we now need to, and this is an opportunity for us to now change the way we're operating if we can deal with this problem. So it's, it's how you frame what you take to management, to upper management, that can make all the difference to build your credibility so that then you can move into the C-suite where you should be anyway, because you know that's- It's fundamental. Work. That's the nature yeah. of the work. Um, and then also to look at your own personal mindsets. How do you view power? You know, I, I had my first lesson in power 
when I when I was eight years old or nine years old or maybe ten, and I was a I was made a police girl at school. So I got the belt and the badge and all of that. And you know what? Once I got the belt and the badge, I just felt indestructible. And I was really like 10 feet tall. And I went out and I could put up the stop sign and let people cross the street or not or whatever. And I, that was my lesson in what having power does. So it's asking yourself as a leader, what power do I have and how am I going to use it? And if I'm going to use it to just advance myself and my personal interests, then get out of management. I mean, seriously, get out. And um, also, if I happen to be a technical person, which many people in supply chain are, um, who are, look at your own motivation pattern. Most technical people are high achievement oriented people. Mm -hmm. So they, and that means they like to do things themselves. So when there's a problem, they love to run in and solve the problem, right? Yes. So ask yourself if as a leader you are willing to share power and to be a, to be a source of empowerment so that your power is bigger because you have people working with, with you together to do things that are bigger than what you could do by yourself. So use empower more for empowerment than then as opposed to, you Correct. know, powering yourself. Yeah. Correct. And know how to do that because you don't just give people. I remember um, working with a company where people said, well, said I'm giving them the power, but look at the stupid things they come up with. Well, you know, what kind of, do they understand the big picture? Do they have the information they need? Are they trying to get, give you what you want? Maybe the old legacy of power relationships is still at work. You need to be persistent for a, fair, a fairly long period of time to build that capacity to move into a power, into a, into a shared power position. And then know where you have powers. Don't be afraid to make the decisions you have to make and, and tell people this is not going to be a participative decision. It's going to be a consultative decision. And I want you to consult with me, but I, I will then make the decision. And then people don't get mixed up in their expectations. There's a way to be a leader today that is a transformational leader. And it's not the same type of leadership of being at the top of the pyramid. It has yeah. some of the same elements, but not all. Because the thing is, you know, it's not too, it's not hyperbole to say that we are living in unprecedented times, you know? And so it is the reality of businesses are changing, the world is changing, leadership is changing, and the types of businesses that are successful in this change are going to be the ones that can transition to this right. sort of, you know, ecological yeah. model. Yes. It's how can I build a change-able organization? It's not yeah. how can I implement it. You know, that the first three T's, transactional, transitional, and transformational, all kind of rely on a little bit more of that top-down push. But when we get to the fourth, it's really how can I create the intelligent enterprise, the, the fully intelligent enterprise where all parts are intelligent and aligned. So the, the, the leader's role is, is continuous alignment. That means communication like the uh, electrical utility that I mentioned, the executives going out and having conversations with people that help them internalize the yeah. fit, the, the link between their job. It's not to tell. It's to have conversations. If leaders would just go out and have conversations, 
you know, it, we, it's well, it would change. Yeah. Yeah. It would change. Do you know, I want to ask you about something you said at the beginning, which is, I think if I remember correctly, you said something about how you don't want to be corny here, but you think that supply chain is leading the change in, you know, in some way that is absolutely unprecedented. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you see the supply chain today? Well, you know, I've done surveys. One of the things I like to do is, is survey the where an organization is so that they can embark on a transformational agenda. And where most, organiza- most organizations are getting stuck at level three in the maturity model, because you can go from one to two to three, if, if you're familiar with the maturity models, where, you know, you're basically in one kind of anything goes, you're just setting up your business and then you get into more of a project mode and then you have more thematic things that are binding you together, but you're still in in the first three phases of, of the maturity model. You're still the internal, the mindset is still hierarchical, Mm -hmm. but to get to the next phase, the mindset has to become organic. And that is where they stop. So when I do surveys of where organizations are, they're stuck at two and three, even though they're talking a really big, good name. They're talking the language of transformation. They're saying we need to be agile, we need to be customer focused and all of that. When you get inside of how they operate, you, for example, in when I've done surveys and, and you ask, you know, um, rate your organization on um, how well it does with cross-functional decision-making, it's always low. Where is it in, um, where is it in, um, in, 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 in people kind of getting out of their boxes and solving problems that they see very low. So you have a very, you have an organization that's operating and it's actually justified its operations saying, you know, we are cross-functional and all of that. Mm. But the reality is that when you want to reach across, there's, there's not a real easy way to do it. And there are, in fact, in many organizations, inhibitions to doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't go directly to you, my partner over here, because I haven't gone through my manager. Because you know, there's a bureaucratic process, yeah, and I've right, got to yeah, go through here right. and there, you know, and and create this. So, so from what I, I what I take from this, what I take from this, Pat, is that a lot of companies probably think they do a better job than they do. They might even talk the big game. They might you you know they might be using a lot of the jargon, you know, agile and you know, et cetera, et cetera. But when you dig deep under the hood, when you really ask these questions, there's still the old-fashioned sort of model. It's still within the paradigm of the pyramid. That's why I think the be- uh, something that organizations can do just to start breaking the ice is to draw the organization as the supply chain. Here, mm-hmm. Here's the supply chain and, and the, the, the uh, administrative functions are in service to the supply chain. The, um, the, the financial and the marketing functions are in service to the supply chain, not in a servant relationship. In a, no, of course not. Customer. Together. But it, the supply chain is where it all happens. And it starts with the customer and it ends with the customer. 
Well, yeah. what, what struck me was as fantastic of what you just said is that in, in most of these hierarchical models or most of these models, where is the customer anyway? Yeah. You know, that, that says a lot, speaks volumes, doesn't it? It does. It, the customer, if you were to put in there, is being squished by the pyramid. You know, help, yeah. get me out of here. But, you know, I think that how we visualize things makes a huge difference in how we conceptualize. We have got to get into the mindsets of people and help them change their view of their own power. I'm not dependent. I can speak up. I must speak up because I'm an evolving human being and I have one life. And if I just kowtow, at the end of my life, I'm going to really not feel very good about it. I have ideas. I want to put those ideas into play. And then the organization needs to say, yes, you have ideas. But we, in order for us to even care about your ideas, you need to have good ideas. Well, what does it take for you to have good ideas? Well, you need to understand more about the business and about the customer. Or else you're going to come up with dumb ideas that are only situational, you know, dumb in quotation marks. So the whole organization needs to be a fractal where every part of it is if you look at it, it looks, every part looks like the whole, not in a way of, you know, little minions marching down the street, yeah. but in the way of how we think and our values and our, our commitments to, to, to change and to the customer and to evolving things into a better world. Um, it's, it's possible, you know, and I think we need to train people to be, to manage their own. I've, I've done a lot of this work in my life. It, it's training people to be, intelligent participants in an intelligent system because it's it's vital you know i remember in south africa one of the most important things that ever happened to me i'd been working with a really with south african breweries and we were at it was a multi-year change they, it was a massive change process with many many working parts and we finally got the unions involved and which was interesting and they began to play a role in this. And we had, of course, it's a beer company, so we always had a lot of parties, which I think was, was probably one of the reasons this, that South African breweries really went, really changed. I think that was a big part. Yeah. Um, we had a lot of parties. So anyway, um, at one of the, our parties, one of the old shop stewards got up and he said, I must speak. And so we um, gave him the microphone and he said, if anybody told me at my age that life would be interesting and that I would matter in this company, I would have said no, no way. But now that it's just getting interesting, I'm retiring. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, that's, and you know, the, the, it's like that gardener who went out and came back and said, I have customers. All of a sudden his life is regenerated. And it's part of it's part of a larger whole and part of a larger story, right? Exactly. Exactly. Well, you you know what, Pat, you have you've given us a lot to think about. I think right now, well, no, you've given us a great deal to think about because uh, change is happening all around us, and change is happening to everybody. And I like the way that you broke down the types of change, and I think that's going to resonate with quite a number of supply chain directors in terms of the types of changes that they're driving within their business, Uh, Pat. You, thank you so much for being part of FinTV, for being part of this podcast. We'd love to have you again. Uh, stay well. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And to you too. And to everybody, you have a really important job in supply chain. You are the transformation leaders taking us into the future. Take on that power.